0: Let me say something that's that's hard to hear for people listening, but most people that were healed by Jesus in these stories are in hell right now. Mm. Unpack that. Because people are going, wait, what? Yeah.
1: (laughs) When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture... Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's gonna be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right. All right, welcome back to the Take and Read Podcast. We got Granger Smith back. You're like, you're you're a mythical creature sometimes. <laughs> But uh, so glad to have you back in the studio. Me too. I'm um, glad to be back. Yeah. So it's it's super fun to be here. Moving forward, I mean, one of the things that when we got going with this podcast was the idea that it would just be a very casual but consistent time in the word. And that's really what it's been. Uh, we're now, you know, we've we've seen 30, 30 some odd episodes and you've been a big part of that. And you and I were talking just before we got on here that this, I don't know if people would just go, oh, Pastor Chad, you study the Bible all the time. So, you know, this is just, you know, something that you do or whatever. But it has been an incredibly enriching experience for me to come in here with you and with the other guests that I get to have and to sit here and chew on the scriptures at this level. Mm. Like I will say, I've never meditated on the word of god to this kind of depth like i have mm. through this process and it's just week after week taking a little bit of the scripture so uh, it's been a treat and i'm super glad that you pushed me to do this because i wouldn't have done it because i would have thought no other people podcast i don't i listen to podcasts but i don't. Yeah. i'm not a podcaster and so i'm super grateful for you and super grateful for the friendship that we've gotten experienced
0: now over a year. Yeah, I'm grateful for you. Year and a half. I could echo those same words. We've been doing this for almost a year, it seems like. Right? Yeah. And we're, we're only on chapter eight of the first chapter that we started. Yeah. And there, that's something so so valuable for me because like you said, we're just reading essentially one paragraph per episode and w- walking through it, regardless of the camera and the mic, you and I are walking through it for our own Yeah. Our own understanding of it. Yeah, it's it's pretty special. Um, So catch me up. What's
1: going on in your world? What's kind of what plates are spinning? Uh, Last time you were here, you were talking a little bit about, you know, you got a lot of things on your plate. There's Mm -hmm. some different priorities that have presented themselves, you know, not only um, marriage life, family life, but you've got touring. You've got book. You've got um, a radio show. So, yeah, what all what does the world look
0: like for you so i'm not great at multitasking like my wife is okay i have to prioritize and or i don't know if i say i have to prioritize more than i have no choice that's just what my brain does it just prioritizes one Mm. project and i'm only speaking in career terms um i'm not saying i prioritize over family right but the book right now is number one uh, in the career side so I focus on the book. Um, if I'm not writing or reading passages from the book, I'm uh, thinking about it while right. I'm doing other things. <laughs> and w- what does that look show, like for you? It's secondary. Like, um, is
1: it a one day a week you just kind of block out a bunch of time and work
0: on it? Is it every day you're trying to? Every day I'll work a little bit on it. Okay. And then I block out days of the week where I work only on it. Gotcha. And I've written 11 chapters of 12, and the 12th, it will be the most difficult because I have to wrap up the, all the ideas right. of the first 11, and I have to go back and read. So it's essentially reading a book to find the loose ends that I need to then tie together in chapter oh, 12 wow. with with the gospel narrative at the center of it.
1: Now, do you have somebody who's kind of coaching you on how to write a book? cuz like just to sit down and go okay I'm going to yeah open
0: up a word doc and I'm going to start typing a story yeah so there th- I mean that's a great question cuz that's that's why I waited so long to write it to begin with cuz I a blank page is terrifying to me mm. like where do you start where do you finish yeah so I got hooked up with this literary agent okay and they're in out of Austin and they said okay here's here's what we do we build a proposal and an outline we pitched the proposal in the outline to publishers. Once we get a deal, then you write it. And I was like, I could work with that because there's a, now I have a step-by-step process. Yeah. I'm following a proposal. I don't have to follow it perfectly, but it's an outline. So I met with a a pastor. His name is Ryan and he's at River Rock Church in Austin. Mm-hmm. And he has worked with that agency before because it's, you know, this is a Christian based book. We signed with HarperCollins christian-based publisher so ryan's a pastor and we we met for coffee three times for three hours each in georgetown and he just sat there and asked me questions Hmm. and we talked and he asked questions about my story and who i was and and what i believed and i just talked and he typed Hmm. then with that he came up with nine prompts Hmm. and he said here's nine prompts, answer these in a thousand words or less. So it was like, tell me the story of your rebirth. Tell me the story of your son, Maverick. Tell me the accident with River. Tell me who you were before the accident. Nine times I answered these prompts. Then he came back with that information and created a 12 chapter outline saying, chapter one's about this, chapter two's about this, Mm -hmm. chapter three's about this. And I was like, great. Now, my brain could wrap around that. So then when it was time to start writing, I know what chapter one, I know what the subject is yeah. and the rest of the information I just manifest out of my So you had thoughts. a a guide, someone who's like, yes. I'm not going to write the book for you, but
1: I'm going to give you a structure mm-hmm. that's going to help your creative juices flow. Yes. And it wow, tremendously awesome.
0: helped. So I was able to really go quickly through, through the writing and each chapter's three to 4,000 words. So I was able to just go. Okay, I know where I'm going in the next chapter, so I'll try to get there from this this point of view.
1: Okay, help me understand how many were like how many pages is a thousand words? I have type no double idea. Space. You just. I have
0: no idea. Okay, that, that's just what they the the publisher said. Shoot for three to four thousand words per chapter. Hmm. And so sometimes I would end up with fifteen hundred words and think, Gosh, I think I've written everything about this topic. But then that forced me to really dig and go, what else is in here? Hmm. What else matters to this? And this has got to be different than when you're writing a history
1: paper in college. Yeah. Right. When they're like 12 pages, double spaced, you know, Times yeah. New Roman, you're like, okay, what else can I fill in here to get to my yeah. 12 pages? This is different. This is yeah. your story.
0: Yeah. And, and so and sometimes I'm at 4,200 words and I'm thinking, I got to slow down a little. This is okay. getting to be too much. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: cool. So what is the kind of target for you? When would you want a book to be on a shelf?
0: They want fall of 2023. Okay. It takes one year to to get everything together, to promote, to, to find the space for it. So I need to be finished by September with the edited draft. So the good thing about it is I'm going to write the first draft and I'm hopefully going to finish next week. Then it goes to the editor. At Harper Collins, he takes it, fixes the grammatical errors, mm-hmm. put the commas in the other place. Maybe, hey, let's swap these two paragraphs to lead better. That's what he does. Okay, he did, he's and he's done all kinds of books, like all the way back to Wild at Heart. No kidding. He Wild oh, wow. Heart. So the guy's great. Um, and so hopefully we'll finish that by next month, and I'll be ahead of schedule. Sweet. So will you have a book tour? Yeah. Essentially, something, some kind of book tour, media tour,
1: or would that kind of coincide with your music tour?
0: This or is just—I told them that I told them and the agency the book is the priority over mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. so it it can coincide with music, but it'll also be a, a higher priority. So it will it will replace music. Can in I call dibs on
1: like a first edition, like yeah. just hot off the press, first yeah. edition? And if I show up at one of your book signing events, like I'm gonna totally just ham it up. Let's do it
0: at your church. Uh, just I mean, gonna just... a lot of these events will be at churches. So oh yeah, we'll just so we'll go to Montana. You, yeah,
1: so yeah, for those who are listening in, I'm we're currently in Texas. Yeah, uh, as we record this episode, but uh, the Warren family is is encountering a major transition. The Lord is leading us back to Montana. Mm. Um, back to my hometown where I was born and raised. And I get to, uh, yeah, I get to bring the gospel. Not that the gospel hasn't been brought there, but I get to be a uh, a preacher of the gospel in my hometown where I grew up and I didn't know the Lord when I lived there. When I left there 26 years ago, I did not know the Lord. And now I get to return a completely different man. Mm. Super excited. And so, so yeah, we're going to bring some Granger Smith uh, to the valley. It's going to be so sweet. excited. Yeah righty. So, uh, anything else you want to update us on? No, Nope. I think You're writing a book. Yeah.
0: That's what on? I'm, that's what I'm focused on.
1: That's cool. And so in terms of the heavy writing load, is that is the end insight if you've got one chapter left?
0: Yeah. I'm about 1400 words in on the last chapter. Oh, wow. So, so, um, I'll just, I need to just wrap up these thoughts and, and bring it home. Land the plane, as they say in Preacher World. Yeah. So uh, how much does Amber speak into these chapters? She, is, she hasn't read it yet. And because I get nervous, she's always the first one to critique anything <laughs> I do. So I, she keeps asking, when do I get to read it? So I, I say, at the end of this week, I'm going to give it to you. Okay. And I want her to see it and go... That's not exactly the way that conversation went down because mm. I, I could remember it a different way. Yeah. And so then she'll come in and go, no, you, you said this. Oh, yeah. So that I'm, <laughs> I need that from her. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we came here to
1: take and read the word of God. So we're going to do just that uh, to remind ourselves we are in the middle of the gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter eight. And these these chapter markers, uh, they're simply put there later. Uh, these mm-hmm. weren't a part of the original text, but they help kind of organize and help us locate things. And so uh, here we are in the middle and we're we're reaching kind of the climax of the gospel of Mark where, you know, this the famous
0: confession of Peter occurs. And we're not quite there yet. That's an interesting point you made that a lot of people might not quite realize is that these these chapter markers and the codex of the numbers mm-hmm. of the verses was put in later. Mark didn't do that. Right. And he wrote just in full form. And sometimes, there's a couple times, like in Romans, I think 7 to 8, it's a weird break. Yes. Yeah. And so you can't look at it as if the author did that on purpose. So sometimes you have to read through to the next chapter to see where it's going. For sure. It could leave you mid-thought. Yeah. And we'll even, I mean, you and I are looking at physical
1: Bibles that have uh, section headings. Mm-hmm. Those are put there by editors, mm-hmm. translators. Uh, they're the ones breaking up the paragraphs and things like that. And so we recognize that originally none of that stuff would have existed yes. and it
0: doesn't corrupt it. If that's what you're thinking, right. this is done by a team of scholars a long long time ago that that made these breaks and these paragraphs so it's not a bad thing it's not corrupt it helps us yeah the code i said i believe this is the first codex in the history of books
1: yeah and it's a way to navigate so you can not only find where you are and where you've been but it also helps you reference it with Mm -hmm. other people so they can go Okay, so we're in the same spot yeah. as we look at a text and uh, evaluate it. So yes. it's put there, um, and, but however, one of the things that we note historically is that with 16 chapters in Mark, the way that it was separated, and in the middle of the eighth chapter, we have kind of this high point. And what's been happening is this is, this is the collected teaching of Peter it's the earliest account of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have, and he is making the case that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, and the very first sentence, verse verse, says, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. From that point on, that's the only time Mark gives his opinion. Hmm. From the rest of it, it's his support of that statement. and. So as he builds, he's building this case for why anybody who receives this gospel, believers, non-believers, would understand why they can also believe that Jesus is the Christ, who he claimed to be and what that means. And so what he's been doing is he's been demonstrating authority. A couple of words that are used consistently, immediately this, immediately that. Like It's very fast-paced. Mark's gospel is very Okay, then we did this, and immediately, and immediately they said this, and we said this. And so it it has a a definite pace to it. It's also been a demonstration of authority that throughout this, Jesus is demonstrating his authority over the demonic. When the demons recognize he's on the scene, they immediately respond to whatever he tells them to do, and they don't delay, and they recognize his authority. When he speaks to the wind or the waves— or any of the water, it immediately responds to his authority. He casts out his sickness and any kind of uh, physical malady. So whether it's leprosy or uh, deafness or blindness, he's able to immediately repair it and renew it in full. And so he's demonstrating his authority over the big stuff, like the, the cosmic forces like wind, wave, weather systems the small stuff like leprosy and human cellular structure the spiritual stuff the demonic as well as the physical stuff within this world he's saying i he's showing i have authority everywhere mm. uh which is which is interesting because i think that plays into what we'll find later in the gospel is when when the disciples start to realize he is the messiah and he starts to predict his death That he's going to get rejected by the religious rulers and the Pharisees and the scribes, that he's going to be put to death and then he's going to raise after three days. Like they don't have a category for that because I think they're wrestling with weight. We've seen you have there's no limit to your authority. Mm. Why on earth would we go to Jerusalem and all of a sudden you be overtaken? That doesn't make any sense. Like I so I think that they're still wrestling with some Mm. of that stuff and their own expectations and understanding of what needs to happen for salvation. What does it mean the Messiah is here? So mm-hmm. some interesting things there. Uh, he's he's now fed 5,000, which we understand to be more like 10,000 at one time. And mm-hmm. he's done it a second time. So there's been these two episodes where this huge crowd has gathered, they're hungry. The disciples say, hey, what are we gonna do? All these people are hungry. He has compassion and he says, we need to feed these people. He oftentimes puts it to the disciples, "Well, what do you have?" And they're like, "We have a couple of loaves, some fish," and then he performs these grand miracles. And so, it's been interesting as of late in the Gospel of Mark how bread has played a role. And I think that that's interesting as we look at this. and And so, if you're you're tuning in, what I told Granger before he came in because he didn't know the passage, I said, "You know, the passage today, I I looked at it and I began to process it, but." We're going to have to process this in real time because I think there's a lot more going on here. So we'll jump into, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. Mark 8, 14 through 21. Granger and I are both in the ESV. And if you have been following this podcast the whole time, you'll notice there's an anomaly today. Granger is using a physical Bible. <laughs> I've never seen him turn a physical page on the Bible. He's always scrolling. So here today, he gets to handle yeah. the physical Word yeah. of God.
0: Yeah. Good old
1: <laughs> paper. All righty, let's jump in. Mark eight fourteen. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, that is the disciples. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Hmm. Very interesting passage. Yeah. Because there's almost like, when I look at this, there's a couple of like there's parallel ideas happening. Like there's a couple of different lines of thought occurring. Yeah. So let's make sure we we understand what this says. So we know that it the, the people present are the disciples and Jesus, and they've gotten into a boat and they're now making their way uh, as they travel. And so we know it's just them. It's There isn't a crowd gathered. We don't have anyone challenging him. It's This intimate moment with Jesus and his closest disciples. And they're they're hungry and they're worried about food again, which isn't the first time. And uh, yeah, anything else that we need to note about this scene that would be important?
0: Yeah, we've said this before on this podcast, but we we all believe that Mark got this information firsthand from Peter. Right. So if you're wondering, how did Mark know this? Well, he's getting it... uh, from peter who was there and he was one of these disciples and then we we assume that it went something like this on the boat hey man did you get the bread yeah no man you were supposed to get the bread well how are we gonna eat no man i mean man you do this to me all the time you forget the food i tell i remind you and they are uh forgetting
1: (laughs) yes and this is like right after The feeding of the 4,000 where they have uh, seven baskets left over. Yeah. And it says, now they had forgotten to bring bread Hmm. yet again. Like, did you get it? No, I didn't get it. I thought you got it. No, how are we going to? And so now they're sitting there worried about eating enough bread. And so they're, they're making their way. Bread is a theme here, which I think is very fascinating. He makes this comment um, after they've realized they only have one loaf of bread with them, which apparently isn't enough provision for all of them. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, which leaven has to do with bread making. Mm. So it's a yeast that would, you know, and and some things that we understand about the nature of leaven and the the way that it's used as a metaphor in the New Testament is, Sometimes it's, you know, it's the, it's the way that it reproduces and spreads and infiltrates everything. When 11 is in something, it then multiplies and spreads throughout and occupies. And and there's no, no extent to which it can't go within that product. Right. So when you add it, you have to add just a little bit. Yep. And then a little bit goes a long way. It goes all the way throughout the entire thing. And so there's something to that, the nature of something about the Pharisees and Herod, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. So normally you've got the Pharisees being kind of your bad guys or the Romans. Herod is this weird uh, representation of the Herodians and this political party that's Jewish that gets its authority from Rome. And so it's a weird kind of hybrid of those forces which oppose jesus but in in this case you've got the pharisees and herod would all be parties that are opposed to christ and he's warning his disciples beware of this opposition because it's like leaven
0: and it can spread Mm -hmm. which is interesting because we also see that analogy with the kingdom of god
1: yes that it starts small like a mustard seed and then becomes the largest mm. shrub in the garden. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, that that's an interesting component here. Uh, what else do you think? Um, I th- There's something interesting I th- that doesn't Im- initially come out, but there's some language here that's used that is not the first time we've heard this kind of language. So when he says, um, at the end of 17... Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? That kind of echoes back like in in Mark 4, when he starts to teach parables, he says in verse 12, they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Hmm. Uh, and he says, and he said to them, do you not understand the parables? And so he's talking about the Pharisees and those outside of the kingdom, not having ears to hear eyes to see, or the ability to understand. And now he's saying this of them, mm. which is interesting.
0: And he's and he said it on the boat too, to them. He said it on the boat privately. And anytime Jesus asks a question, he always knows the answer. That's not what it is. It's, it's always rhetorical and it's always for teaching. Yeah. It's not because he's honestly looking for an answer. Right. He's not in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like, man, I wonder.
1: And so here's what I want to do with you right now. We've got to take all these components and we've we've understood so far what's what's happening. And we also need to understand that. There's an intentional way in which Mark and and the Holy Spirit through Mark is developing our understanding of who Christ is. So up into this point, what we've understood, he's taught as one who has authority. He's demonstrated his authority over all of the different realms that I talked about earlier. And now he's with his disciples in this boat. He's performed many times now a miracle of taking a small amount of bread and mass producing it to where there's a mul- a more leftovers than they know what to do with. Mm. He's in the boat with them. They start this dialogue going, hey, did you bring the bread? I forgot the bread. And realizing they only had one loaf, now they're in this conundrum. Okay, we don't have enough food for everybody. Now, who knows what's going through their mind? Maybe they're like, hey, I wonder if Jesus can do that thing where he make, makes a lot of it. Or they're like, oh man, we should have brought more. There was a bunch of leftovers. Why didn't we? He even references the two times that mm-hmm. he's, he's brought out this miracle of provision. He then brings up this idea of Pharisees and Herod, and he uses an element that's in bread. He says, leaven. Here's, here's a, an element that goes into bread making. And you have to be careful because a little leaven, leavens the whole loaf and be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. These two parties that are in opposition to Christ and the kingdom of Mm -hmm. God. So beware of this. And they're like, we were just talking about the loaf of bread here. Like they Mm. had to be going, what is he talking about? Mm. And so then he starts to talk to them about, do you not yet perceive? Do you not understand? Don't you see what's been going on here? And he relates that to the five loaves and feeding of the 5,000, then the feeding of the 4,000. And that he was able to produce from very little very much and they don't understand what is it they don't understand if jesus could
0: wrap this up in one five letter word it's trust yeah it's trust do you not yet trust me no one it sounds like no one in the boat said we're good we're with we're with the messiah don't worry about food as long as we're with him he's our bread mm-hmm. and Although it's not in this gospel, we see that in John 6, where he yeah. told them that many times. There is so much to this passage that we could go, we can go super deep. I'm gonna show you what I read this morning uh, in Proverbs 21. 21 1, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of mm-hmm. the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So what's interesting about Jesus saying, Are your hearts hardened? knowing that Jesus is God and Jesus has their hearts in his hand and he can turn them. We know from, from Moses that he could harden Pharaoh's heart, that he could open our hearts. David says, open, enlarge my heart. Mm -hmm. So Jesus has the power to manipulate their heart in any direction. But, but I think he asked them this question because we need to always separate our minds and our hearts and we need to know. We need to think with our minds and, and the renewal of our minds, and recognize my heart is hardening. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm letting this leaven of the, of this idea of this world infiltrate through my bread, and I could feel my heart hardening. So then we turn like David, and we say, "God enlarge my heart." It's hardening, and Jesus is is in a way saying. Are you recognizing with your mind that your heart is hard? And he's telling through the scripture us that we have to recognize what position is our heart in at the time, because it could change day by day.
1: And I think that there is a, there's something to understand about the relationship between here they are in the boat, they realize they don't have bread. And they're, they've just recognized we have one loaf. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Mm-hmm. They're like, we don't know what that's about. <laughs> they go back to the fact that they don't have enough bread. They're like, look, we don't have, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It says, and yep. they begin discussing with one another the fact that they have no bread. Jesus, aware of this conversation, revisits it and says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Like, okay. And so it seems like his comment about the Pharisees and Herod seems so random to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I look at this, they're talking about bread. He, It's there. It's this one little sentence. And then it's as if they didn't even hear that. And they're like, man, we still don't have any bread. Like, And he's like, <laughs> he's like aware of this. Like, hey, did guys, why are you still talking about this? Mm-hmm. And then rather than like explain the Pharisee thing and the leaven thing, he's like, don't you guys have eyes to see and ears to hear? Don't you understand? What did I do with the 4,000? The what I do with the 5,000 guys, don't you get it? And so I'm going, what? Trust is what he's getting at. So what threatens trust? And it's fear. Hmm. So what is it here that they're going? Oh, we don't have enough. Uh-oh. And he's like, "Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod." Well, what is it that they they don't trust in the kingdom? They don't see the kingdom because they're trying to, out of fear, preserve their own sense of uh, meaning, uh, value, authority, power. But they're afraid. Mm-hmm. So fear drives Herod and the Pharisees. Yes, fear of loss. Yes, and not. And so he. I think there's a connection between. Them having this fear of, oh, no, we don't have enough bread. Yes. What could that fear drive them to do? It is that leaven. Mm -hmm. It's fear, just like the Pharisees and Herod have, that when you have a fear, that's going to drive you to not trust me and try to figure out your own provision, your own um, need. And so he's like, don't you get it? Why are you guys still talking about bread? Mm. Don't you know I provided? I provided back then and then. And I'll continue to provide for you. Don't you guys see like what we're talking about here? Don't be tempted by fear of the immediate mm-hmm. or the temporal that may cause you to not trust me. The mm-hmm.
0: result of that fear is control. Yeah. I need control to mitigate the fear. Yeah. What Jesus is asking for is surrender. Yeah. Surrender your control. I am a sovereign God. I will take care of your yep. all your provisions. We still deal with this today. Yeah, this. I love the fact that the the disciples always remind us of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I need to control this. I need to. Con- and pe- people on my podcast will always say things like, "Of course I'm going to pray, but I-, I need to figure this out." Yeah, it's like it, it's like prayer is always the last thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the same story here. We know that you know you're God and you're going to take care of us, but how how are we going to eat? And they're still not surrendering. Yeah.
1: And it's the reason why they're in the pickle that they're in is because of their own failure, right? Mm. They forgot to bring bread. So it's their fault. And so the tendency is to go, man, I messed up. It's my fault. Maybe I don't expect God to bail me out this time. Or he shouldn't have to, right? Yeah. There, there's this American yeah. ideology that says I should be able to take care of myself. And so for whatever reason, they're not trusting and there's maybe fear entering the picture. So I think that what we, standing back, I look at this, go. I think the big words are trust versus fear. And if you give way to fear, that's the leaven that will cause you to either wholesale reject Christ because you don't believe he can or he's worthy or whatever. Or maybe it's just that you just slightly distrust him Mm. and you're going to just always kind of lean on your own understanding, your own ability to provide. And we all know what that road looks like because we're not sovereign. We're not powerful. Mm. We're finite, forgetful, limited beings. Yes. And yet he's saying, I got you. And every time it's going to look like. Even though you you got yourself into this situation, you got yourself into this pickle, you still have to trust me that yeah. I'm that kind of God that will get you out of your own mess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, what's so great about this is that after they saw the feeding of the 5,000, they still didn't trust. Mm-hmm. That's great for us. That's great news for us because if they had all trusted, most of the 5,000 left after that. Mm-hmm. after that feeding. We see that in John. If, if they had all believed because of the, of the multiplication of the bread, the miracle, then we, 2,000 years later, can go, must be nice. They believed because they saw it. We don't get to see it mm-hmm. on this earth. Yeah. Luckily, it's a blessing that they didn't believe so that we can go, there's more to it than the miracle. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't come here to this earth to multiply bread and to heal and to cast out demons that was an outcropping of his nature, but mm-hmm. that's not why he came. So we can't think, must be nice. They got to see all the miracles. We don't see it. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, it's not about seeing the miracles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he tells Thomas in John 20, which is what I read this morning, you have you have believed because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe that don't see. Mm. And that is a great comfort to you and great me. Great comfort. Because, true, we will see miracles every day if we keep our eyes open. Mm -hmm. The God of the universe shows up in miraculous ways. But these profound, large-scale miracles, we don't see those as frequently. And yet, we're called to believe and trust in the word. And Jesus even prays for, in John 17, he says, Blessed are those who who will believe in me because of your word. That's us. That's you and me. We're believing because of the word of the apostles and what they were witnesses to, and they bear witness and give testimony, and so we trust based on their testimony. And he says we are blessed for that. Mm. Blessed are those who believe and don't see.
0: Man, that's a good word. Let me say something that's that's hard to hear for people listening, but most people that were healed by jesus in these stories are in hell right now Mm. unpack that because people are going wait what yeah (laughs) we know statistically it however however many people he healed or however many demons he cast out or however many people witnessed firsthand a miracle were not believers by the end of the story meaning they never saw the kingdom of god meaning for us there's more to it than mm-hmm. seeing and believing. Yeah. Even if this 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 wandering Jewish rabbi walks by and touches you and heals leprosy, mm-hmm. even if it's that, that's not what it takes for you to be a believer. Yeah. That's amazing and terrifying.
1: Yeah. That there are those that simply like the stuff of God. Yes. The stuff they got from Him they may not have been totally interested in him. And that that's a good challenge for us today that how often do we approach the Lord and we just want the stuff that he can do for us, but we're not all that interested in him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Man, that's challenging. There's some incredible stuff here today and I'm just so grateful I get to process it with you. <laughs> this is good. It's super helpful. I am a verbal processor, so this yeah, is super helpful yeah. for me. Um, so if you were to kind of walk away One takeaway where you say, okay, Granger Smith, Chad Warren, followers of Christ, how does this word inform the way we live our
0: lives today? Well, um, you know, selfishly, I wish we could jump ahead to uh, two more paragraphs here. We could hear what Peter says about this. (laughs) That's for two episodes later, um, because it, it, and this is encouraging for anyone reading because there is a resolution to this. You just have to keep reading a little bit further in chapter eight and Peter will say it and Jesus mm-hmm. will acknowledge what Peter says. Um, but for this, oh gosh, we walk away um, with with some serious questions that our mind needs to evaluate in our heart. Mm. And we have to separate heart and mind. Follow your heart is an earthly myth. Don't follow your heart. It is the path to destruction. Is. Wow. It is. It is deceitful. So we could use our mind and constantly evaluate in our daily lives, why am I passionate about this? Why do I love this? Why am I having inclination to move this way? Mm -hmm. Process it with your mind, supplemented with the word of God. And you can evaluate, this is my heart being deceitful. Mm -hmm. And this was not known yet. This kind of discussion wasn't known yet to these disciples, which is why Jesus says, are your hearts hardened? He could have said, evaluate your hearts right now. Everybody stop for a second on this Mm -hmm. boat. Evaluate your hearts and tell me, tell me what your hearts are telling you Mm -hmm. versus what your brain knows of me. And now tell me you're still scared. Yeah. Same with us today.
1: Yeah. I think you draw out a, a a really important point about the heart being the the seat of emotions in mm-hmm. the ancient world, and that that here there is a definite connection that Jesus identifies with the 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 bickering over bread that they're doing and their lack thereof, and that that's a it reveals a heart issue, mm. and it's a heart of trust and possibly fear. And that somehow that's related to the same opposition, that's the leaven that is true of the Pharisees and Herod, those who will stand opposed to Christ, it will come out of a an emotional seat. It'll be a heart issue. And that for you and I, we constantly have to evaluate our heart's influence. Now, granted, God made us, and all of us, and Certainly, emotions are a part of the makeup of humanity. And if you ever want to learn how to effectively and righteously process through your emotions, read the Psalms. Yes. Uh, because all of the emotions are present there and you get to see them on display in a and how to exercise in emote in a godly way. But we are constantly having to, like you said, check our heart and go, what is my heart? saying, and how am I giving into its influence tonight right now in light of what I know to be true, what's been revealed by God in his word. And that's a daily every day because we'll constantly feel fear, whether it has to do with our identity, uh, our future, um, our financial situation, uh, our health, like there's plenty of things in this broken world that can induce fear Mm. and our hearts will go, I've got to find something more immediate to trust but we don't necessarily go to the Lord to trust first. And so we'll go to other stuff. And so I think one of the takeaways for me is, do I begin my day trusting the Lord and and suggesting to him that as I read his word and I trust that this is his communication to me, that today I give you my day and I'm going to trust you come what may, the highs and the lows, the unknowns and the knowns, like, I'm all, I'm trusting it all to you. And I'm just banking on the fact that it's your game plan for my day. So whatever I have planned, that's great. But whatever happens, that's from you. Yes. Versus what I plan.
0: And I love, you know, that I love the Psalms and I'm so glad you said that. I was meditating through the Psalms this morning and it's so interesting. For instance, this morning I saw um, David say, depart me, depart from me, you workers of evil. And I just I always think, wow, Jesus quoted so much from the Psalms Mm -hmm. and so little from the word of God in the Mosaic times, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Jesus chose to quote the heart of a man because he was man in the flesh to show us the heart of a man instead of quoting back from Genesis, mm -hmm. the words of God. He quoted, here's my position of my heart today as a man. And I would recommend for anyone in their daily prayer to pray for their own heart. Mm-hmm. Every single time they pray. That's a good word. Pray for your own heart. And you find that in that position in the Psalms. Mm. God, open my heart. Don't let it be hardened. Mm-hmm. Don't let this leaven spread through me of this world because the Pharisees inherit of the, of the time is now the world to us. Mm-hmm. News media, social media, government, uh, wars. Um, and you think about they're pumping fear. Yes, all, all the time. About Either you
1: don't have enough and so you need to buy more stuff. Yes. Or yeah. there's all there's so much danger lurking everywhere that you need their protection. Yes. It's just oh man. It's a proverb
0: if Solomon says in Proverbs that that God has our hearts like like streams of of water in his hands to direct then I, I would pray that every single time I, Amen. I bowed my head. Yeah. That he's directing that towards him. Amen. Because he could also harden it. And I don't, we don't want that.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. And uh, sometimes one of the ways that he hardens our heart is that if we repeatedly see his faithfulness and his grace and kindness towards us, and yet we don't appreciate it, and we don't, uh, we aren't grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Like you think about the amount of times that Paul challenges and commands the the believers in the various churches that he writes letters to to be thankful and to be grateful. That there's something about a heart of gratitude for what God has provided. That sometimes when we just kind of uh, presume upon the Lord's kindness and grace towards us, it just leads down a path of ungratefulness and just now we start to go oh you're not doing enough for me lord mm. you're not providing enough for me and we start to become ungrateful and then pretty soon our hearts are hardened and we get bitter towards him because we feel like he's not doing enough for us and and he just lets us go that way and that's one of my prayers is lord don't ever let me go yeah cuz i'm going to push against you and i'm going to yeah. fail please don't let me go yeah. please turn me back discipline me rebuke me just constantly remind me, bring me back Yeah, and uh, recognizing that the discipline of the Lord is a gift.
0: Yeah. And then when I do go too far, restore me. Yeah. So that I can feed the sheep. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Dude, this is a good word today. If
1: if if folks are – as you guys listen to this uh, episode, if there are certain questions that come up for you or challenges that you have uh, to what's gone on in this text, please email me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can either ask me a question, Granger a question. If you have one for him, I'll get it to him. Uh, but as you hear this, hear this as two brothers that believe wholeheartedly that this is the very word of God. We believe Jesus to be the Christ that he historically lived, he died, and he physically rose again, bodily resurrected, proving himself to be the Son of God in power, and that his death on the cross covers my sins, Granger's sins, and your sins, to whoever will believe in him and place their trust in him. If that's not something that you have done yet, my encouragement is that you do it today. There's no better day than today today to give your life to him and to trust him and to begin walking faithfully with him by taking and reading his word yes on a daily basis
0: amen and we Chad and I both believe that we are also sinners by nature mm-hmm. unworthy of the grace of God yeah but because we get that unmerited gift we choose to pour ourselves back into this word to to show our our gratitude and our praise for being unworthy of being saved, and we're saved anyway.
1: Yeah, and it's an exercise of faith, um, because what happens in this word and what this says speaks contrary to the world around you, to the loud voices within the media and the culture. They're screaming a different message than this. And so every day you choose to read this and to live in light of this and trust this, it's an exercise of faith. And you're saying, Jesus, I believe you. And I'm going to stop squabbling about the loaf. Mm. Okay. I'm going to just trust you today and not worry about the fact that I only have one loaf because I believe that you will provide and you will protect and you will sustain me. And so that's, that's what we do today. Mm. Granger. Thank you, brother. Oh man, Thanks for thank being you. here and uh, we'll be praying for you in the book. And uh, if you're listening to this episode and the book has already come out and you don't have it, you should probably go buy the book because now you know a little bit of how it was made in the process. <laughs> exactly. And so you're kind of like an inside track. It's the first time uh, I've ever
0: said any of that. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, thanks for being here, brother. Man, and I uh, look forward to having you on again. And as we head to Montana, uh, we get to explore new ways to do this. And Love so it. you'll get to see different ways in which Granger and I get to interact. But sometimes I'll be in his studio recording this podcast. Sometimes we'll be via, you know, two locations or whatever, split screen. But looking forward to it because – you guys don't know this, but he has been a a constant instigator of this podcast happening and a constant supporter of this podcast. And so I'm super grateful for your support um, and the way that you continue to help me develop this and that we get to share the word of God.
0: Well, I, I love it. I, I love you and I believe in this podcast.
1: Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you. And for those of you tuning in, now you need to go take and read the word of God. Blessings.